It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, We are uh, in a three-week series on relationships called Relationshape that uh, we started last week. We are going to be, for those of you who have been at Mount Hope for a while, you know we started the book of James back in September, kind of put a pause on it through Global Outreach. We'll be returning to it after these three weeks. But there's a few topics throughout the year that as a staff and as a preaching team, we often say we don't want people to go through a whole year at Mount Hope without them possibly hearing about. Um, we do it with global outreach. We, you, we don't want you to go through a whole year without hearing about the importance of taking the message of Jesus to the world. We do it at the beginning of the year with things like Bible reading and generosity and prayer. We don't want a chance that you would go through a whole year without hearing a message on those things. And relationships is another one where we feel like uh, these places in life where you and I are called to live out our faith, the relationships that we have with other people, we don't want you to go through a whole year at Mount Hope without hearing about marriage or parenting or work relationships and friendships and things like that. So we take, uh, we've taken three weeks to kind of focus on that. Last week was marriage and Dr. Dan Varengia was able to be here and uh, hopefully uh, those of you that were here uh, heard and uh, were able to apply what he said. I thought what he said about uh, the fact that you are just compatible does not mean that it's a good relationship. Um, compatibility is, uh, is good, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're moving in a good direction. There's more to it than that. So if you haven't heard that message, I encourage you to go hear what Dan Varengia had to say about that last week. This week, we're going to be uh, looking at uh, passing on the faith to the next generation. I'm going to talk specifically about children and parenting. And some of you, as soon as I hear that, are saying, good, I can take a nap because I'm not a parent. And my question to you is, how is that different from any other Sunday anyway? Just kidding. That was a joke, I hope. But actually, I think even if you're not parents, uh, this is a message for all of us. Because here's the thing. If you are a Christian, then the Bible gives you the responsibility of making sure the faith is passed on to the next generation. Doesn't necessarily, it's specifically certainly for parents, but it's for the whole church. The whole church has a responsibility to make sure that the faith gets passed on to the next generation. And there are some ways that we all need to learn how to do that. So if you're not a parent, that means you have that responsibility, but you don't necessarily have an easy place in proximity to live that out. But you do have that responsibility. And so we all need to learn what it is and how to pass on this faith. So I'll be talking specifically to parents and, uh, this morning, but not only to parents. Uh, because you also have influence over people in your life who are part of different generations. You may or may not be a parent, but maybe you're an aunt, an uncle. Uh, Maybe you just, maybe you have people in the church. If you attend here, you definitely have young people in the church that you have influence over. You may not even teach a class, but I promise you, you have influence over them. You notice them in the hall or you don't notice them in the hall. You have influence over them. You speak to them or you don't speak to them. That's influence because they notice. What you say and how you say it, how you live in your church and before the young people in this church is influence. And so I want to talk about that this morning. Normally when I talk about children and parenting, I start the message off with a funny story about my kids. Well, here's the thing. My kids are getting older. They don't like me telling funny stories about them anymore. In fact, I think they're going to start charging me to tell funny stories about them. And I didn't have any extra money. So no funny stories about my kids today. 
but I am going to talk about parenting. You know, it's important. A couple weeks ago on a Sunday morning, we were up here with the Rivera family, and we were dedicating Bell and me and, um, and Eleanor to the Lord, and what a moment. And it's an important moment. Here's how I know it's an important moment, because there are very few things that will get my wife, Wendy, to climb these three stairs onto this platform. If you have been here, uh, you will know that in the last 12 years that I have been pastoring here at Mount Hope, there are very few times that my wife will climb these three stairs. We have different gifts. We have different things we do. Uh, she will do Excel spreadsheets till the cows come home. I can't run Excel. I don't even know how to do that. But when it comes to baby dedications, when it comes to child dedications, you've seen she'll be up here and she will pray and she will be a part of that because if there's a family that is going to commit before God in this church that they will raise their kids to know and love Jesus, then that's important. And we want to be a part of that. And so raising kids and passing on the faith to the next generation is important. Two questions when it comes to parenting that every parent has to ask, Christian or non-Christian, whether you're in the church or not. The questions are this, what's the goal of parenting? One. Two, what's the method to reaching that goal? What's the goal of this thing that God has given to me? And what's the method of reaching that goal? There's all kinds of parenting philosophies that are out there. Maybe you've heard of some of them. Let's start with a little quiz. Here's the quiz. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you five different parenting philosophies on one side. There on your left. There's words that go with them on your right. Okay, no helping your neighbor, no cheating. But in your own mind, or maybe you want to write them down, see if you can match up the parenting philosophy with the word that goes with it on the other side. I'll give you a minute. All right, here we go. Ready? All right, you got it? Here we go. I'm going to start. Elephant. What was the word that goes with the elephant parenting philosophy? Nurturing. The ele- apparently elephants, I haven't spent a lot of time around elephants, but there's a parenting philosophy out there called the elephant philosophy that is nurturing, that all the kids need, all they need is to have an extremely loving and nurturing environment and they'll be fine. Another parenting philosophy is the tiger. What's the word that goes with the tiger parent? Strict. Strict. Kids need boundaries. They need strict. They need a competitive academic environment and this is what will help them to succeed. How about this one? We think it's good for our chickens, good for our eggs. The free-range parenting philosophy goes with what? No rules. No rules. Just let them have freedom. They'll figure it out. It's good for our chickens. Maybe it's good for our kids. How about this one? This is a new one. In fact, I've only seen articles about it since September of this year. It's the lawnmower parenting philosophy. Clear the path. That's it. We're going to mow it down. We're going to mow down every obstacle that's going to get in our kids' way. We're going to take away everything that might cause them pain, everything that might cause hardship, and the parents are going to go ahead of them, and they are going to mow it down. The college that rejected them, the parents are going to go and tell them a piece of their mind and, and mow down and go on job interviews, all that stuff. Lawnmower. No pointing to people around you, please. Uh, how about this one? <laughs> The helicopter is what? Involved. That's a nice way to put it. Involved. The helicopter parent is the parent who pays extreme close attention to their child's problems and life situations. If you are somewhere under 30, this parenting philosophy kind of got that name around your generation. 
the helicopter parents always hovering, always around, always, always involved, the helicopter parents. People choose different philosophies because they have different goals. They choose different methods because they have different goals. But the question is, what is the goal? Let's look very quickly at what the Bible says is the goal of parenting. If you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to open to Psalm 78. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is one on a rack of a chair around you. You can grab it. Psalm 78, pretty close to the middle. Uh, Psalm 78. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11, but I want to start with verses 1 through 8. And the first thing we're going to see is what is the goal uh, for a Christian parent And then we're going to talk about the method of how to get there. What is the goal? How that goal looks different maybe from some of the goals of the world around us. Psalm 78, verse 1 through 8. Here's what the Bible says. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation. The glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Father, help us to hear and understand your word today. May we listen well and understand it and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. The goal of Christian parenting is very clear in this passage. It's very clear in verse 7. Did you catch it there? It says this, so that they should set their hope in God. All this is done for this reason. The goal of parenting, Christian parenting is this more than anything, so that the next generation will set their hope in God. Now, here's why I think this is important to look at because we live in a world that has a different goal for parenting. I think we live in a world that has very different. And it's not surprising. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, if you don't go to church, why would this be your goal? That's not surprising. It's not surprising to me when people outside the church live like they're outside the church. That's not a shock to me. That's expected. But here's the thing. Here's what I'm afraid of. I think sometimes the goals of people outside the church start to seep into the lives of people who are Christ followers inside the church. And some of the things that are the goals of someone who is not a Christ follower starts to affect the lives and the goals of those who call themselves Christ followers. So if I were to look at our world today, and maybe you'd uh, think about this in your own mind, and say, okay, what are the goals for parents? A couple has a baby. They have to think about, okay, what do we do with this thing now? You know, what's the, what, what are we aiming at here? Here's what I think a lot of people in our world would say. Two words. Happy and healthy. That's our goal. 
that if we can have this child have a happy and healthy life, that they can sustain themselves, become productive citizens, maybe contribute a little, not become a burden on society. They can be happy, have joy, not pain, and healthy, that we've probably done a pretty good job. And those aren't bad goals. I don't think having good health and having experienced joy and happiness is bad. We all want those things. But it's not the ultimate goal. When you make a good goal the best goal, there becomes a problem. I think a lot of people today would say we just want our kids to be healthy. We want them to be emotionally healthy. We want them to be smart, physically healthy, protect from pain, provide for needs. And spirituality for many people, if they consider it, just becomes one of the many things that help create a whole happy person. It's not the ultimate thing for many people. It's just a piece of that which might contribute to a happy and healthy life. It seems like a good goal in some ways, but I think there's at least, this morning I want to talk about at least three problems if that's your main goal for your kids of being happy, simply that they would be happy and healthy. There's three problems I think with that goal and the, and the one is this. First, it's an illusion. It's an illusion that this is even possible that we would raise kids to be completely happy and healthy. Let me, let me just do an informal survey here this morning. Informal survey. How many of you came from a 100% problem-free, dysfunctional-free family and home? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, okay, we're all, none of us. It, it's an illusion that there can be this perfect, healthy, happy home situation. But it's an illusion our society propagates more so than ever before. It used to be, uh, Time Magazine ran a, a special issue in the recent weeks about how the changing of the family. And one thing they said is, is about bragging about kids. It used to be that parents had about three minutes in the day to brag about your kids. I mean, it used to be uh, years ago that Maybe you meet someone around the coffee, you know, the coffee maker, or you meet them around the water cooler, and they say, oh, how's the kids? And you're like, oh, you know, they're great. And what happens? You take out the wallet, right? You get out the little plastic picture thing, and you get a school picture from three years ago, and, and you're like, yeah, you know, Johnny's doing great. He's doing this and that, and Susie's doing great. And how's your kids? Oh, let me get out my purse, and here, we rifle through, get a couple, of, yeah, Nicole's doing this, and Nick's doing this, and oh, that's great. And then you go back to your room, and you never think about your friends, kids, or families for the rest of the day. Not so anymore. Now you can put your kids and your family on blast 24-7 as you Instagram and Facebook your family. And not only that, everyone else gets to look through. Oh, look at their family. Oh, and you, when you never before thought about it, all of a sudden that's all you're thinking about. And it creates this illusion that a perfect, healthy, happy family is possible. Why? Because the Smith family went apple picking. And they went apple picking and they put their picture on Instagram. And the Smith family has this beautiful picture on Instagram. I mean, their kids are all in overalls. And they are lined up in order of age and size. And the only thing bigger than the apples in their hands are the smiles on their faces. <laughs> 
and they are, and the dog's jumping around in the background, and there's a big bag, and mom and dad are laughing, and then they have the post, the figure, the figure, the Smith family, harvesting God's blessings. <laughs> and you look at it, and you're like, and, and you look down at your phone, and you look up at your family, and you're like, why can't we be like this? What's going on with us? It's just, it's an illusion because you know what they didn't put on there? They didn't put the argument that Mr. and Mrs. Smith had the night before. When someone said, we should go apple picking tomorrow. And someone else said, there's a game tomorrow. (laughs) And they said, didn't we just go apple picking? Do you know how many people are going to be apple picking there tomorrow? They didn't put that. What they don't put on there is they don't put the kid on there who's tired of walking through the apple orchard. And just drops the apple bag and sits down and says, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done. What they don't put on there is the snarky kid who said, don't they sell these at the store? Why are we here? (laughs) Or the connected kid who's just on FaceTime the whole time saying, my family is so lame. I don't even know why I'm here. Or the kid who's, or the baby who's crying because they missed their nap and you're just bribing them with cider donuts. Please smile for this picture so people will think our family is great. They don't put that on there. And the mom says, okay, hold on, I'm going to Instagram this. Smith family, blessings. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> this is the illusion. The illusion that all things are, that that it's possible to have this happy and healthy family. But it's not. It's not we all have dysfunction in our families at a certain level. We're all dealing with brokenness in our families. And it's not healthy to think that if that's our goal, that it's even possible. Second reason, second reason why this isn't a goal is because it's a sanitized view of life. And here's what I mean by that. There are negative things in life that will have a positive impact on your child. That if you try and be this lawnmower and take out every single obstacle that happens, you are going to remove some of the most important places of growth in a child's life. There are negative things in life that will have a positive impact on your child's life and growth. And to say that we just want happy and healthy and we know what that is, is against that. Third, it's short-sighted. Because all it focuses on is this life, here and now. The temporary things that are going to be gone after a while. They don't last forever. And here's a secret. It has disappointed everyone in the long run. They don't satisfy forever. It's short-sighted. So the goal, according to Psalm 78, is this. So that the next generation will put their hope in God. Not happy, healthy, honest kids. That's not the goal. That's too small. That's too low. The goal is that the next generation will put their hope in God. If that's the goal, then what's the method? Psalm 78 also gives us the method. Look at verse 3 or verse 4. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. 
He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. See that word in there? Tell them to their children, that they might tell them to their children. Here's the method. You know what the method is? It's not that complicated. The method is this, storytelling. The method is telling the story of God and to the next generation so that they know it and they don't forget it. The goal is so that they would put their trust in God. The method is storytelling. Writer of Psalms, the word of God says, tell them. Tell them to the next generation. Don't let them forget them. Two important ingredients if you're going to do this method. Two important ingredients to storytelling of this. First, you must know the stories. That seems obvious. But do we take it that seriously? Do you know the story of Abraham and what happened and what he did? And can you tell it to a young person? How about Moses? How about Noah? How about Joseph? Do you know the stories? And can you tell them to a child so they can understand them? And you say, well, maybe you say, well, I'm not a Bible scholar. Isn't that your job, Pastor? That's what I'm bringing them here for. Here's the truth. We know the stories that are important to us. We know the stories that are important to us. There are stories you remember and you can tell again and again and again. Is God's story one of those stories? Years down the road, some of you might gather some people around and you want to tell them a story and you're going to gather them around and say, let me tell you a story about the 2018 Red Sox. Started out bleak in the beginning. Chris Sale had a great start and the bullpen blew it. And then you're like, forget it, I'm not watching another game. It might have been just me, but it was definitely me. And then they woe on to win more games than any other team in history. Or Red Sox team in history, not team. And they go on and they go through and they beat Alex Cora, first year manager, outmanages all these other managers, managers. And then you're up at three in the morning while you're in Israel watching the game. <laughs> while your wife holds the phone to the TV because you can't get the broadcast Israel has blocked the broadcast and your wife is holding WhatsApp up to the TV so that you can watch the game at three in the morning and it goes 18 innings. Again, maybe that was just me. And you're telling the story and you can rehearse it and you don't need notes. You don't need to look up it on Google. You don't need to reference it. Why? Because we know the stories that are important to us. Is God's story one of those stories? that's important to you, that you remember, that you can tell. We need to know the stories. We need to know the stories. Secondly, we need to tell the stories. You need to tell them. We need to pass them on to the next generation. We need to pass them on in church and out of church because I think there are some people, maybe you're sitting here and you say, well, I bring my kids to church, that's what we're doing. You know, they're over there with Miss Donna right now and they're getting the story. And that's great, they are getting the story. That's true, that's a part of it. But it's not all of it. My kids go to school for many hours a day. At least six, some days they're there like 10, 12 hours. 
And you know what happens when they get home? Guess what they get to do when they get home? Homework. If more, I'm like, they were just at school for all these hours, all these days, and then the teachers have the audacity to send them home with more work to do. Present company excluded if you're a teacher. But there's a reason for it, right? Because here's what the teacher knows. We can do so much in school, but unless you are willing to supplement it at home and spend some time and, and, and do this, they're not going to get out of it all they could get out of it. But I send my kids to Kids Adventure, 45 minutes a week, sometimes every other week for some of you, every third week, I don't know. What if we handled school that way? 45 minutes a week, that's enough. You'll get all your reading, writing, arithmetic. All right, now let's forget about that and do something else. Not going to work. Please, please don't put that on the church. That is not what the church is designed for. The church was not by, given by God to do the entire spiritual formation of every child that comes in. The church is here to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, which means equipping and helping the parents to do the work of the ministry that they are called to do, which is develop faith in the life of their children. It's not going to happen in 45 minutes a week. It's not going to happen in an hour and a half a week. It's not, it's, not, it's not designed that way. It doesn't work that way. You need to talk about it at home. Tell the stories. Tell the stories at home. Look for those places in your life. Talk to your kids about God's stories. You don't have to have all the answers. Let me give you a clue. They know you don't. They know you don't have all the answers. But you can help them find them. You can help them search for them. You can help them pray through the questions. Tell the stories at home. At church, we need to tell the stories too. The truth is Psalm 78 is not a private prayer, it's a public prayer. And it's a prayer to call God's people to pass on this to the next generation. The church doesn't do all the work, but it does do part of the work, and we need to do that. So when we have a child dedication and we come up here and I ask you, church, will you commit to praying for this child and doing all you can to create an environment where this child can come to know the ways of God and follow the ways of God, and you say, with God's help, we will? That's part of the responsibility Scripture gives us to pass on this faith to the next generation. It's not all we do, but it is part of what we do. And so we will have Kids Adventure and we will have dedicated, loving teachers down the hall right now, working with kids right now who will, who will show them and teach them and tell them about Jesus and put the story in a way that they can understand it so that they can hear and they can learn about this God who loves them. We love that. By the way, we still need three teachers right now in our Kids Adventure ministries if God's working on your heart right now. I need three male lead small teachers for three groups of boys, kindergarten to grade five. I asked Donna this morning what she needs, and that's the three outstanding needs. Maybe you're in here and God's already working on your heart. God's called you to lead a group of boys uh, to teach them and pass on this faith to the next generation. If that's you, go talk to Donna, and she could use your help in that lead small. It's formal in this informal ways. 
Certainly we teach and we pass it on that way, but there's also informal ways. How you treat each other in the hallway. How you act and talk about each other at home. Do you talk about people from church when you're not at church? In front of your kids? How do you talk about them? Because that models for your kids. Spiritual formation. Do you talk about the church? I know you don't talk about the pastor. (laughs) Models spiritual formation in the life of your kids. Informal and formal ways. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're not going to turn to it now, but take some time to read it at some point. Deuteronomy chapter 6 talks about how to do this. Talk about the ways of God. Talk about the commands of God when you rise up and when you sit down. Talk about it at night. Talk about it at day. Talk about them all the time. Put them in your life. Formal and informal ways. We need the church. It's like this. My son uh, wrestles. Uh, He does wrestling at school. I've never wrestled. I've never done wrestling at school. Well, I wrestle my son. That's it. In in the living room at home. And I think I'm wrestling. I'm not sure. I'm like, is that helpful? I don't know. But I don't know anything really about wrestling. I don't know the rules. I don't know. I, we go to the matches and uh, they're like over before they started. I'm like, that's it? I don't know the, the, the rules. I don't know all that. But you know who does? You know who does know all that stuff? His coach. His coach knows all that stuff. My daughter plays soccer. And while I know you have to kick the ball from one end into the opposite goal, that is the extent of my soccer knowledge. I do not know why they stand in line sometimes while other people kick balls at them. I do not know what a penalty is or when someone's offsides. I do not understand that, but you know who does know? Her coach. And so I bring them and other parents come around and coach and other parents share and coaches get involved in their lives and they learn the things that they don't know and that I don't know. And you bring your kids to church and you don't have all the answers, but there's people there who have answers. There's coaches there. There's parents there who have walked the way of faith in their life. And they can talk with your kids about it. I love the seniors in this church that take an interest in the kids of this church. That know their names. That talk with them. That take a moment not to walk past a child, but to get down on their level and shake their hand that will share the stories and say, I'm praying for you. I've sat on Saturday mornings at a 6 a.m. men's prayer gathering with chairs gathered right here and listened to men pray for the youth and the children of this church, not because they're their children, but because they're the children of this church. We need each other to do this. This is part of passing on the faith to the next generation. This is why we're a part of a body of Christ like this. We need to be committed to this as a church to passing on the faith to the next generation because a lot is on the line. And here's what's on the line. Look at Psalm 78 again. Psalm 78. Talked about the goal and talked about the method, but here's what it also gives. It also gives us a picture of what's on the line. Verses 9 through 11. The Ephraimites, which was a tribe and Israel, God's people. The Ephraimites armed with the bow 
turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. Listen to this. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. We don't know a lot about this particular battle that the psalmist is writing about, but you don't have to because you know enough. Here's what you know. Here's what you know. They're God's people. They have bows. They have military equipment. They're armed. And they turn back. And the reason they turn back is given to us. Because they forgot the ways of God. They forgot who God was. They forgot what God could do. And here's the thing that I want us to get this morning. Here's where I'm driving at. If our goal is happy and healthy kids, we might get these kids who are happy and healthy and have everything they need and have the obstacles removed and had everything mowed down and they have these wonderful lives and they have everything except the ability to trust God to do what he's asked them to do. They have everything they need. They have the bows and they're in battle. They have the weapons and they're in battle, but they turn back because they have everything except to know how to trust God. And that we are raising happy and healthy and hell-bound kids is the danger. That's what Psalm 78 warns us against. Here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of that the thinking of the world and their goals, and that's their goals because they should be their goals because they don't know God. They don't have another goal. I don't hold that against people who aren't in church. But here's the thing. When you're in church, I'm afraid that's seeping in to the point that we would be given the choice of our kids going to a great school and getting a great education and getting a great job and having a great house and a great family and great kids and wonderful pictures that they post and and, and all these wonderful things but not knowing God and our kid bouncing around or, or the other possibility of our kid bouncing from job to job, not having a lot of stability, maybe not having a, a real aim in life perhaps, but knowing God and being passionate in their heart and given that choice, we would take the former over the latter. And Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? That is not a trade-off that is worth making. Your goal, Christian man, Christian woman, is not happy and healthy kids. I hope you have happy and healthy kids, but not because you made it your ultimate goal. Your goal is kids, children, a generation who will set their hope in God, who will trust him no matter what who will know the stories and live the stories in their life, who will have God as their ultimate goal in life. This is what God has called you to. This is what's on the line. What you don't want is to raise kids that have everything they need in life except the ability to trust the God that wants to lead them. How do you know if you're doing this? Just two quick ways as we close this message. Two quick ways as we, as we close up. How do you know? There's, 
there's lots of ways you can probably measure it, but here's two. One is listen to the way that you pray. How do you pray for your kids? Listen to the way that you pray. Listen to your own words. How do you pray for your kids? So the prayers, Lord, let my child be healthy. Lord, help them sleep through the night. That's not a bad prayer, but it shouldn't be your only one. Is it Lord, heal. Lord, help them choose the right friends, get the right college, not marry that bum. What's the, what's the way that you pray for your kids? Or is it Lord, may they know and hear the voice of the living God in their life? May they know your plan and never depart from it. May they know your word and hide it in their heart. May they do the right thing even when it's the hard thing. May they stand up when everyone else is abandoning them. May they stand for truth in a world where no one else is going to stand up for truth. May they be righteousness and justice in their heart. May they love God with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. May they know that they are great sinners, but Jesus is a great Savior. Is that the prayer? That we would pray for our children. Listen to the way that you pray. Secondly, ask your kids. Ask them this question. What do you think mommy and daddy feel most passionate about? Word it however you want. What's the most important thing to mom and dad? Answer might be interesting. Would it be a sports team? Would it be a recreational activity? Would it be a job? Spend a lot of time there. Would they say them? Would they say the most important thing to mommy and daddy is us? Let me tell you that if you treat your kids like they're God, sooner or later they will believe it. Or would they say that God and serving him is the most important thing in their life, in your life? If the gospel does not come to mind, we ought to reevaluate our priorities. Look, I'm not here to beat us over the head. I fall short like you fall short. But let's not lose sight of the goal. Because there's a world out there that is constantly giving us a different message. And we have to be careful that that message does not slip in. Does not slip in and start becoming our main goal in the church. Parent with the end in mind. Start orchestrating your prayers in the right direction. Pray more for their souls and their God-honoring lives than for their health and their happiness. Look for what you can learn and pass it on. When you come on a Sunday morning to listen to a message and hear it, that's the first step. Second step is that you hear from God and you apply it to your life. And we often stop there. Here's the third step if you're a parent. How can I say this message in a way that my kids can understand it? Because that's the real taking it to the next generation. How can I take one line out of this message? How can I take one idea from God's word and say it in a way so that the next generation will understand it? Maybe they don't get all the nuances and they don't get all the applications that you would get, but they can understand. They can understand it. 
That's a challenge. I'm going to ask our music ministry to come back, and we're going to take a little time to just pray and finish cause up and respond to God's word. The danger we run into is if we think our duty is to produce happy and healthy children, is that we're arming our children with everything they need except the courage to do what God says to do on the day of battle, and they run. That's not our goal. Our goal is to raise up kids who will put their hope in God. The next generation, your children, children of this church, and maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, look, I hear what you're saying, but this is a hard message for me to hear because I feel like, you know, we did the best we could and we didn't do everything right, but we did a lot of things okay. And, and, and my kids today, to be honest, are not walking in the way I'd want them to walk. Not even walking in the way maybe we've raised them to walk. And... Uh, listen to a message like this and you're running through your head and saying, could we have done something different? Should we have done something different? Should we have done something better? Here's the thing I want you to hear this morning. The end of the chapter is not the end of the book. God is at work in their lives. And God said in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That tells me it is God's work, God is faithful, and he is the one that does the completing. And so if you are sitting here this morning and you've got kids that come to your mind and your heart and you say they're not where they need to be with God, that's okay because God's not done. Don't give up. Don't give up praying. Don't give up loving them. Don't give up leading them. Don't give up teaching them. Don't give up on them. God has not given up on them. The end of the chapter is not the end of the book. God is still writing. And as long as they are here, and as long as breath is in their lungs, God is calling them to himself. God is taking those seeds that you planted from long ago. God is at work watering them. Pray, pray for them. Pray that God will lead them and direct them and guide them. Here's what I want to do. I just, if you take a moment, just to bow your head and close your eyes. We're going to respond to God this morning. And if you're here this morning and God's already working in your life, what I want us to do is take a moment to pray for our kids. I want us to take a moment to pray for that next generation. And maybe there's no one standing in the gap for them right now and you would be the only one that's standing in the gap and praying for them right now. Maybe God is putting a name in your heart. Maybe it's your own kids. Maybe it's a niece, a nephew. Maybe it's someone else's child that you know, that you know that you have a heart for and you want to see God work in their life and you want to see God turn toward them. Or maybe you're a parent here this morning and you just would say, God, I need your help. God, I need your help to do better at this. Lord, I've had the wrong goals or I've had the wrong methods. And this morning, I want to pray for my kids. I want to pray for my children. And if that's you this morning, God's put a name on your heart and you want to pray and stand in the gap for your kids, I'm just going to ask you to stand up right where you are right now. Just stand up right where you are and just before God, say, God, I am going to lift up 
And whatever that name is that God has put in your heart, I'm going to lift them up to you right now. And I'm going to pray for them. And I'm going to stand in the gap that you would work in their life, that you would protect them, that you would preserve them, that you would keep them in your presence, that you would draw them to yourself. And I am going to believe that you are not done with them. I'm going to pray that they, on the day of battle, will be able to stand, not look back, not turn back, that you will protect them and preserve them, Lord, for your purposes. Oh, Jesus. We have a responsibility to this next generation. As the worship team plays, I'm just going to ask you to take some time to pray for those children, those kids, maybe grown kids at this point. And I ask you to take some time to pray right now. Lift them up by name. Lift them up to God and ask God, pray those prayers maybe you wish you had prayed when they were still living under your roof. Pray those prayers maybe you wish you had prayed when you still had the opportunity to speak with them on a regular basis. That you would right now lift them up to God wherever they are and ask God to draw them to himself.